All right. Well, good morning. It's good to be here with y'all. It's actually happening. Um, this is it's a special day for y'all. It's uh, you know, I was I was a part of that cancellation decision that weekend, and so it's almost a year anniversary for us. Um, we had our last large group in person um, right before the Sunday y'all were supposed to have this service, and so. Uh, it's really special and sweet for me to, to be here with you now. And uh, we know that God works in his way and his time. And so today is the day where we celebrate um, his provision for his people, um, the call you issued and um, his bringing David in response to that call. Um, God is good and faithful. This morning, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 18, starting in verse 13. Um, and I'm going to read for us that, that passage all the way through 19, verse 6. Um, and then I'll invite you to join me in going to the throne of grace. And so uh, would you read with me? Um, this is God's word for us this morning in Exodus chapter 18, starting in verse 13. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around, from, around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statues of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for this thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people. Men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day... They came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they had camped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious God and Father, um, we do come to you this morning thankful uh, for the chance to gather in your name um, and thankful that you are a God who speaks and you speak a, a better word to your people than we could speak of our own accord or our own strength. You have always been about the business of bringing glory to your name in the midst of your people through your work of redemption. And so, Father, as we gather this morning and we continue to worship you by giving attention to your word, would you, by your spirit, give us eyes to see and ears to hear uh, a word both of challenge to our rebellious hearts, but also of blessing and grace as we consider what you have accomplished through Jesus and the ways in which even the promises that lie before us this morning in the passage we've just read, you have made yes and amen in him. And so in Christ, Father, help us to lay hold of these promises and claim them as our own and live them out even in the particular bodies of Christ that, to which you've called us. Um, we just celebrate this morning your faithfulness in bringing us here and bringing us to your word. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you've got a big announcement to make, uh, when you've got some news you're excited about, a lot of times we find ourselves looking for the right circumstance to announce it, don't we? Um, I don't know if this is too soon to use this word. Some of us might have PTSD, but we see this among politicians, don't we? Uh, they, they have an announcement to make about a policy or plan, and they usually want to do it at the right time, right? When it'll seem most advantageous, perhaps an event happens that shows why their policy is important. If that uh, is a too troublesome example for you, maybe a, a more uh, fun example would be that of a young couple excited about the, the news uh, of expecting their first child, and that, that excitement and joy about sharing that news and that desire to, to have the right moment to celebrate it with family. Right, that, that desire that that would be a special moment and those circumstances would actually support that announcement and help people to, to, to remember that moment. And I'm going to argue a little bit later as we look at this passage in more detail that, that on its surface, the timing of God's announcement here, his promises in chapter 19 that we read might seem a little bit strange to us. Um, it seems like in Exodus there might have been some better moments to do this. Um, but I believe that by, by looking at uh, Jethro's advice to Moses and the way that sets the immediate context for the, the promises we see in chapter 19, it reminds us of God's heart for his people. It reminds us that the God of the Bible has always been about saving persons unto a people and unto a community and that he cares deeply about that community and the way in which they function and, and care for one another, and by connecting that context to the promise we see in chapter 19, we see that God's plan is ultimately to show his glory to the nations through his gathered people, and that no detail is too small for his concern and care for those people, and that ultimately he works through his, his communities of kingdom priests to advance the good news of his glory and his redemption to the world. 
And so as we look at this passage together this morning, I hope that we'll ask ourselves, you know, why and how it is that, that even in this passage, um, we see God working for his glory through a particular people in a particular place. And that that's maybe especially relevant for us as we celebrate and officially install Pastor David in this particular community. And so I want us to begin with this idea of God's care for the details of a particular community. Um, if you look with me at the passage in, in verses 16 and 18 and 21, I, I think it's, it's kind of an amazing passage because up until this point in Exodus, most of what we've heard about ha- have been these big, spectacular events, ways that God has supernaturally provided for his people. Um, he's done incredible things through Moses. And it, it almost feels even a little bit anticlimactic when you get to Sinai and the, the last story we have is... They're, they're kind of messing up their judgments here. <laughs> There's some disagreements between the people. Moses is working a few more hours each day than he should be working. Um, the Moses that God has split the sea with, the Moses that God has brought these plagues, we, we've, we come to this story of him working just a little bit too much. But in verse 16, we see that, that God cares about the disputes happening between the people. Through Jethro's wise advice, he says, this is, this is not good. Right? You can't be the personal counselor for all of these people. Um, in verse 18, we see that, uh, that, that God cares about the longevity of Moses and his people. Right, You and the people will certainly wear yourselves out if you continue operating this way. In verse 21, we, we see that God cares about the integrity of, of, of the people that Moses needs to put in place. Right, Jethro wisely says, you need able men that fear God and are trustworthy and hate a bribe. You could see that that God cares about the specific details of this people. And I think if we consider everything God has done in terms of its might and glory, that might actually be a little bit surprising to us. Um, During the election season, I promise, I think this is the last like political, current political reference I'll make. Um, We had a local official come to our house canvassing and I wasn't there at the time. Kelly was there with all four of our children, and it was one of those particularly hectic four young children moments when she answered the door. And so she wasn't uh, very excited for anyone to be coming to the door at that moment. And the the person kind of introduced himself, I'm I'm looking to get your vote. And as Kelly was recounting the story to me, she told me, like, in my mind, I was just like, okay, uh, I've got some craziness going on back here. I'm not very interested right now in, in talking about this. And... Uh, she remembers thinking, well, why, why do I really care? Why, why should I give you my vote? It just kind of ended on that conversation of I should give you my vote. But as he was about to leave, um, he mentioned, oh, like, I see the Legos in the window. And we've got a little bay window. It's usually covered in Legos. For, for our children, the closest thing to manna from heaven right now probably are Legos. I mean, they are incredible. What is this? This is amazing. But all three of our boys just love to create things with Legos. And so that that was the one thing Kelly was like, but he did mention the Legos, and of, of course she voted for him. Um, so it, it matters, like the canvassing works, right? But sometimes I, th- I think we're, we're afraid or we can treat the God of the Bible as if he's just kind of canvassing for our vote. He just, he just wants us to, to believe in him and trust him, and, and he'll do these really big things, and he cares about the big moments, and eventually he's going to make all things new. But does he, does he really care about the little details? And of course, 
the, the, the person canvassing in my house. I mean, it was smart of him, politically savvy, to notice the Legos. But God really does care about the Legos. I mean, he doesn't just care about the Legos. He cares about, like, that chaos that was happening behind my wife. He cares about the disagreements and the struggles and, and the little fights we have within our communities that sometimes feel like they threaten to bring it all down. He's not just trying to get our vote in the big moments. He cares about our daily walk with him. And there's something beautiful about him setting up this structure, his inviting Moses to recognize his own limitations so that this community can actually have a, a, a better system of caring for itself. Right? And it, it's tempting to think that, that perhaps even what we're doing this morning is just a small thing. Installation service, a year delayed, like is it really that important? I mean, we're in the midst of a global pandemic. We're in the midst of all sorts of hard political things. Does, does this really matter? And it, it does to God. It's not a small thing to, to set up leaders for his people, to provide for his flock, to care about how his people are going to be fed from his word. That is not an insignificant thing to him. And so even as you might want to be like, all right, of all the exciting things happening in Exodus, can we just kind of skip over this uh, reworking of uh, the local community structures of Israel? Remember that the God of the Bible, who does all of these mighty acts, cares about these small things. And I think the second thing to notice is not just that he cares about these small things, but that wisdom itself is not negated or superseded or made superfluous by God's miraculous actions. Right? It's not like, wow, because God did all these mighty things, we don't have to worry about these. Instead, it's kind of the opposite, um, that, that God cares even more about what's happening among his people because of his redemption, because these are the people that he has secured for himself. These are the people that he has borne on eagles' wings and brought them to this place. Um, at, at the end of, of verse 22 and of verse 23, it's clear that Jethro's advice has, has the goal of actually protecting and keeping the people of Israel, right? He says that it will actually help not just Moses bear this burden, but in verse 23, that they will actually go to their place in peace. Um, it, it's it's, it's a, a special care for them. One of the things happening at my house right now, it's a little bit unfortunate. I don't even know if last time I was here, I may have shared that we were renovating our basement. If I didn't, that's kind of exciting, kind of pain. But of course, when we decide to do that, our dishwasher goes out and all of a sudden the, uh, the kitchen floor needs to be replaced. And because we already have the funds tied up, like I'm slowly working my way through that, removing bits of subfloor a piece at a time and wondering what I'm doing, wondering if there's more YouTube videos I can watch. Um, and it, it, doing that work slowly and probably not great just reminds me again of my appreciation for people who have great craftsmanship, right? Someone who's able to to make something both efficiently, I would love the efficiency piece, but also with great care, and, and it can be beautiful, right? You think of a, a carpenter making something that, that you're proud of, you want others to see and appreciate. And, and the great work of that craftsman doesn't make then the little steps that follow up of caring for that piece, uh, maybe oiling that furniture, caring for it less important. It's, it's kind of the opposite, isn't it? And when we have something that shows great craftsmanship and care, we care even more about the little details that care for it, protecting it, putting it in a place where it can be enjoyed, but also with my children, not destroyed. Right? And in the same way, like 
God's redemption doesn't negate our need to, to care about the small conflicts, to care about how we care for one another, how we submit to one another. It's, it's the opposite. Because of what Jesus has accomplished, that he shed his own blood so that we who are not a people can be a people, we should care about the details. The craftsmanship is incredible that he would take sinners like you and me and make a community out of them. And that he would actually choose to hitch his wagon and show his glory through our gatherings as his people. And so I think as we acknowledge that, um, it invites us to acknowledge our limitations, the ways in which we need each other to actually do that work, to, to share burdens just as Moses is being called to, to bear these burdens together. Uh, Pastor David finally being installed is not now the opportunity for everyone else to relax and say, sweet, he's got all the burden. <laughs> right? It's just a, another step forward together as a community, drawing near to Jesus and caring for one another. But it leads, I think, to an, another point that needs to be made before we get to the sweet promise of chapter 19. And I think because of the nature of it, it's easy to miss it. But it's also that God loves to work in humble communities. One of the ways that God glorifies himself is, is his work is especially taking root when his people are humble. And of course, if it's humility, then it should be easy to miss. And so it is easy to miss in this passage, right? But not just because of the stereotypes about how we relate to our in-laws. Isn't it amazing how quick Moses is to receive this? Right? Like, I, I can almost imagine Moses like maybe even holding that staff in his hand as he's receiving this advice. Like, hey, what you're doing is not good. You're going to burn out. I don't care how many oceans you've split. You can't continue to, to burn it at both ends like this. And it would, it would I mean, it'd be easy for, for me to take offense. And I haven't done any of those miracles. And yet there, there's a beautiful leadership in his, his humility to, to receive this advice. Um, there, there's a beautiful humility to, to see that God is, is seeking to care for him. And I think that it's a, it's a good reminder to us that no matter what authority God has given us, no matter what role in, in the different places and stations that God has placed us in life to, to lead others and care for others and, and the opportunities to submit to others, the secret sauce often is humility. It's a humility that should, should come naturally because of the nature of grace and redemption. That none of us saved ourselves. We should be, by the power of the cross, being moved towards humility. Um, and, but it's, yet it's something that we, we can't lose sight of. It's something that's so easy to, in, in the day-to-day -day struggle, to, to make things work, to get the lights on. It's so easily lost, isn't it? Um, but it's also important to notice, and this is maybe a, a slightly sad point uh, to, to make in this passage, because it's, it's not clearly there, and I think we could maybe argue that part of the reason we recognize its importance is because of the ways in which Israel fails to show this, right? The passage calls for humility on both sides. Um, obviously, it's amazing that Moses says, yeah, we need these other people over here, but also the humility it would require for Israel as a community to receive this restructuring. I mean, imagine you're an Israelite back in that day, and you get to go to Moses, like, any problem, at this point, Moses is trying to do it all himself. Any problem you have, any dispute, like, I'm going to Moses. Wouldn't that be incredible? And then, because of Moses' humility and God's provision, 
One day it's like, well, actually now you're going to go to Robert. <laughs> and he doesn't have a staff. And he hasn't done anything miraculous. Uh, but Abel, hoping he doesn't take any bribes, right? Like the humility it would require to receive that, right? And, and the irony is, is, the sad irony, right, that probably in a lot of ways Israel didn't show that humility in the ways that they're going to fail in just a, just a bit after this. Um, and yet God's planning for them. I mean, the, the, the other part of the irony in their failure to maybe to, to, to follow those leaders and to follow in humility, to follow Moses, to receive this in humility, is God knows that not even Moses is going into the promised land. Like, this is actually long-term what this community needs, is to actually begin to, to care for each other and not just to rely on Moses um, as their sole person who's, who's pursuing the Lord. And so there's just this invitation to see that, that God is at work and caring for them, even in maybe some decisions that probably would have been hard for them to receive. Now, I'm going to mention a quote that, that I love sharing with, with college students, because a lot of times with college students, you know, I think a common thing for, for a lot of younger people and slash Americans to, to deal with is institutions and submission and kind of the heartbeat of the current culture in a lot of ways is you do you and be true to who you are. And so all these, these, these dusty old pages saying submit in a variety of ways can be difficult. Um, but I've had the chance to teach on the church at our summer conference and, and meet with students and talk about this. And uh, if I'm wrong, I'm sure Cliff can correct me, but I think it's Cyprian, an uh, early church father, that said that no one can have God for his father who has not the church for his mother. Um, and I love that one, students, because it definitely riles them up and uh, it strikes at some of that anti-institutional feeling. It strikes at that, that sense of just individual Christianity um, where the church is more kind of an optional thing. It strikes us as too strong of terms. And yet, when you reflect on it, it, it doesn't sound that much different than Paul saying, if, if Christ is your head, then you are a part of the body. And uh, the, the, the negative of that that we might say from Ephesians 4, that you can't have Christ as your head and not be a part of the body. It's, it's not an optional part of God's redemption. It's not an optional part of salvation. Now, I mention this quote here not because I think that in this setting I'd have as much pushback about the importance or place of the church, but the, the, the second thing, like, the sort of humility that that implies to really believe that the church is part of God's plan for redemption, to really believe that, that there is no advancing of the gospel apart from our mutual submitting and caring for one another, will we display that sort of humility? Because I think ultimately it's, it's countercultural. I mean, to submit... And, and to submit to people that not just because, like, oh, this is the best or brightest, uh, they've had 10 TED Talks and now they've earned the right for me to submit to them, but to submit because Jesus provides for his church. And one of the ways he provides for his church is even through the elders and the deacons and, and the various giftings he's given to this body to serve one another and care for the covenant children and build one another up and walk with each other through pain and suffering and point one another to the cross when doubts and fears creep in. That's Jesus' vision for the kingdom. And that, that leads to the, the final point that, that I'd make for us this morning as we get to, to, to 19 finally and the promise. I think it's important to recognize that it, it is a promise. It's not just wishful thoughts on God's part. 
It's clear, and we'll look at that passage in just a moment when Peter quotes it in the New Testament, that this is a promise that Jesus is fulfilling through his work and his spirit. It's an amazing moment in Scripture. Sometimes I mess with students by kind of pointing out, hey, here's a really important part of Scripture, and sometimes like, oh, I, don't, I don't know how I feel about that. And, you know, I think it's okay. Jesus said there were weightier parts of the law. I love your herbal donations, but you shouldn't have neglected the weightier things in the law. And this is one of those moments in Scripture where the covenant promises of God expand. Right? He's, he's already given so many promises of making a people, blessing the families of the earth. Um, and here he looks at this ragtag bunch, which has already proven themselves to be rebellious and dissatisfied. And we haven't even gotten to the, the idolatry that's about to come. And yet he looks at them and says that his plan to show his glory to the nations is going to involve these people. That not only has he redeemed them and brought them out of Egypt, but as they follow him in humility and trust him and obey, they are his treasured, his beloved possession. God who owns everything takes special pride in his people and that they will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Um, I alluded to this point back at the beginning that I think the timing of this passage is a little bit surprising. This is an amazing declaration, I think we can all agree, of what God is going to do among his people and his plan for his people. And if you were the PR person for this announcement, if I was the PR person, uh, I would imagine that there's several moments we would have thought, now's the, this is incredible, God. Like, after that first plague... Now's when we've got to announce this, right? Treasure possession. It'll be like kind of calling your own shot. More plagues to come. Or, or maybe we'll make this promise after the last plague. I mean, after all that death and, and the Passover, just imagine the weight to these words. Or if Hollywood were in charge of this, I mean, most of the time Hollywood doesn't let God speak in their movies, even if it's about the Bible. But if they were going to let God speak just the way the Bible records it, you know, maybe Moses at night with like a column of fire behind him. That would be pretty good on the big screen. And then these words would be extra weighty. And then so, I, once again, it, we're Presbyterians. We, we, we need to play the providence card at times. This is a good place to play the providence card. Of all the stories that happen in Exodus, why wait? And then include this final story, which seems to be the least spectacular of all the stories, before he makes this incredible promise. Right? And yet, it, it has to be because he cares about this community. And that... His making them a kingdom of priests, the promise that is fulfilled in Jesus, isn't just about the spectacular moments, moments of conversion, moments of incredible testimony, but even in the, the simple day-to-day -day caring for one another, Jesus' people will be pointing to his sacrifice, pointing to his love and his faithfulness. Um, that there's kingdom work happening and God's glory is on display in even the simplest moment of, of reconciliation between two people within the body of Christ. That there's kingdom work happening and that the glory of heaven is being displayed when we submit to each other in what feels like a, a trivial matter of church business. That when we give up the chance to, to do something really fun or go somewhere just to go over to one another's houses and practice hospitality with each other, 
something heavenly is happening. And I, that, I think that should shock us more than it does, that as, as messed up and troublesome as we are, that God would want to hitch his wagon and show his glory through us when it just feels like it'd be so much easier, especially in Exodus, right? After seeing God work all these amazing plagues and, and this incredible deliverance, wouldn't the kingdom be more glorious and spectacular if we just continued in that manner? Rather than now in these ordinary ways working through God's people? Um, kind of imagine, if you will, you're on a, a playground or your favorite playing field and your favorite athlete walks up. For me, it'd probably be Steph Curry, raining threes from deep. Perhaps Tom Brady shows up with his 90-year-old arm still throwing lasers and he tells you, hey, some of my NFL buddies, or Steph says, hey, some of my NBA buddies are going to come play. Would you like to be on my team? I mean, I would theoretically, hypothetically, not in reality, love to be on your team, Steph, but I think I would make your team worse. You would have a better chance against your NBA friends if I wasn't even on the court. Um, and I think in a healthy way, it's good for us to, to recognize that in a lot of ways, it feels like it'd be better if we weren't even on the court, right? Like, God, do you really want to show your glory through us? Because, I mean, he know, he's saying these words. He knows that the, the, the golden calf they're about to make as he says these things. God's not surprised or taken aback by those decisions. And yet he graciously says this. And, and I told you we're going to get to it. First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 5, Peter understands that this is still the way that God is showing his glory even after the resurrection of Jesus. Because he says that as we come to him, Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. All right. Peter understands that God is being glorified as we come to Jesus and we are a people, a kingdom of priests. Um, and I just have to mention a, another common objection I feel like I've heard and perhaps you have wrestled with this yourself as it relates to that kind of anti-institutional spirit. Like, should, should we even have offices? Should we have this structure in the church because of the priesthood of every believer? Um, I think it's, it's very telling that, that both in the Old Testament, right before God makes this promise about priesthood, he not only has Moses operating in this leadership role, but he sets up these under-shepherds and these, these leaders under Moses to help care for the people. And then what is, what is Peter about to per turn to in his letter? He's, he's going to propel himself off the, the kingdom of priests into the need to submit to all different sorts of authority. For him... Being a priest in the kingdom of Jesus, a kingdom of meekness and humility. A savior who saved not through an army, but by laying down his life. It makes perfect sense that we would proclaim the kingdom through our humility and our submission. Through our caring for one another and keeping ourselves unstained from the world. And so I hope this morning that you're encouraged because ultimately, when Peter says that, that we're a spiritual household, he's not saying that this is just some abstract, theological, esoteric concept. But he's saying there's real spiritual power among his people because of what Jesus has done. 
And so we can be honest about how ragtag we feel, how difficult it feels at times, how close it feels like we are to the bolts coming off. And yet we have hope to keep pursuing each other and caring for one another and fighting through the difficult circumstances because we believe that there's real spiritual power as we draw near to Jesus and he makes us into a people. And that happens in his church. It happens here among this body. As we, we, we come to the, the end of this passage, um, I hope that we don't miss this, this, this beautiful reminder, this beautiful truth that just continues forward in the New Testament, that God is delighted to display his glory through his treasured possession. And it's more than just a sweet thought. It's a promise that's actually unfolding in real time and space through real decisions, through real actions, even the decision to finally have an installation service and to be together and to worship God together and to continue caring about small disagreements, to continue caring about how to wisely lead the church, to continue caring about how to wisely submit to and love the church and cherish one another as a kingdom of priests that are excited about the privilege as priests of pointing the world to a suffering savior, of pointing the world to the lamb who was slain and yet who has risen and brings hope and healing and displays his glory in actual communities of his people. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, once again, we praise you and glorify you and celebrate your work. And we know that um, this can easily just feel like another worship service. It can easily feel like just another day. And yet each day um, that we call upon you, in each moment where we gather, you are at work and your glory is being displayed even if we at times struggle to see it and believe it. Father, would you meet us in our unbelief? Would you lift up our eyes to see Jesus and to go as priests, um, caring for one another and out into the world, proclaiming what the Lord has done among his people? God, would you help us to see that the joy and the delight you take in your treasured possession as, as many days we struggle to, to fight the fight and to continue pursuing each other, would you help us not to lose heart? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.